Amen. If you could make your way in and take a seat. Good morning to you. Welcome. So grateful that you're here. Those of you joining us in the sanctuary and those of you joining us from the Bill Stadium, I appreciate it. Um, um, how many of you have ever bought something that you ended up having to put together? Um, I can remember, this goes back a lot of years, my in-laws moved to Florida from Lima, New York. And when we arrived in Florida, we unpacked the whole truck, and part of what we had unpacked were some of these huge boxes of bookcases and TV consoles that had to be put together called solder. How many of you guys heard the solder name? Uh, and we had to put it together. Well, my father-in-law at that point was a little bit older, and so I was the younger one present, so he said, it's your job to put it together. So I'm reading these instructions. These instructions are like things that you get from the space launch. I mean, we're laying them out on the floor, and we got all of our little kids running around. We got, we're laying them out on the floor, and we're putting this thing together. And when I got all done, we had all kinds of parts left over. I had no idea where it went. And maybe for you, it's not solder. Maybe that's just too old school. Maybe for you, it's Ikea. You, you bought some furniture from Ikea and you had to put it here. This all started in my mind uh, about two, three weeks ago. My wife and I had a Graco, I think it's called Graco, 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 playpen. You guys know what that is, right? And maybe it's not a playpen, maybe it's pack and play. How do you know? Okay. It was a pack and play. <clears throat> and... Uh, my wife and I had bought it when the kids were little. They weren't so little anymore, so we thought we'd get rid of it. And so my wife decided she'd put it up for sale on some website. I don't know. But here's the problem. It was all packed up into this neat little green bag. It was perfect. It was like this duffel bag you could just carry out. And I thought, this is what everybody would want, just to leave it in this green bag. She said, no, I need you to put it together so that we can take some pictures. We had no uh, instructions Nothing. So we opened up the thing and we're doing our best putting it together and we looked on YouTube for videos of it, but all of the videos of it were either of a newer model or just nothing close to what we had. We got all done and I had all these parts left over. I thought, what are these, just extras? Just they give it to you? What, what is it? Pocket screws. These weren't screws. They were tubes and everything else. These were big pieces. One of them is as big as the whole bottom. And I'm thinking, where's this thing go? Well, come to find out, we had put it together wrong. <laughs> Thanks for your confidence, Jack. Um, <clears throat> we had done it wrong. We had done it out of order. It turns out that the directions really matter. And it turns out that Doing things in the right order and using the right parts matter. Um, there are just some things in life that aren't going to go well if you don't do them in the right order. Uh, in other words, sometimes first things need to be first. That's just the way it is. First things first. It's kind of the theme of what I want us to look at today as we're kind of sewing together everything that we've been looking at over these last several weeks. First things first makes a difference, not only in the doing, but also 
in the understanding. You have to have certain things understood in your mind and in your heart if you're going to cause things to work right in your life. Um, if we were to choose to walk the way of Jesus, the way that Jesus walked, I'm concerned that sometimes we've gotten things backwards. We've gotten things out of order. So one of the things that I was taught, and you see if you were taught this. In fact, not only was I taught this, I have no doubt that I have taught it myself. But I, like Brother Fount Schultz said years ago when he was a teacher at our Bible school, he would come into class and he would say, what I am teaching you today is heresy. And we all looked at him aghast, like, what? He said, well, what I'm teaching you today, I believe to be true, but I'm also trusting that in time, God's going to show me better. So that in fact, what I'm teaching you today is not exactly right. Well, I kind of feel that about what I taught you over the years. And it was basically this. I had a theme that I taught, and it was this. Obedience leads to blessing. Think about that for a moment. Obedience leads to blessing. Do you believe that? Don't answer. Do you believe that your obedience leads to God's blessings? And I would suggest to you that that's not all wrong, but nor is it all right. And I think if we hold to it the way I heard it in my ears growing up, then I think you get things backwards and really out of order. You get things really wrong. Here's how I heard it. If you do what God tells you to do, then God actually likes you. He's happy with you. Everything's good. But if you don't do it, uh-oh, you better look out because the hammer's coming down and it's coming down hard. So I had heard obedience leads to blessing. And the opposite is equally true. If you don't obey, then you live under a curse. And that's kind of what I was brought up believing. I would suggest to you that that's wrong. That that kind of thinking is getting things backwards. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter 2 if you have your Bibles with you? Ephesians 2, or you use your phone if that's what you use. It will also be up on the screen. This is kind of where, for me, everything started. I read these verses, and they gripped me like they haven't in a long time. I read them in preparation for something that I'm looking at, but I came across these verses. It's Ephesians 2 and beginning in verse 4, if you're following along. It says this, But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. Now, look at that first part again that's in red. God is so rich in mercy. God is rich. If it says God is rich in anything, you pick it, whatever it is, doesn't matter, but in this case it's mercy. But if it says God is so rich, how rich is rich for God? Think about it. What does it mean when it says God is rich? Who's the richest person in the world? Anybody? Jeff Bezos. Thank you. Appreciate it. Smart person in the midst. Jeff Bezos is supposed to have over, over $200 billion. Is that rich? 
That's pretty rich, I would think. $200 billion. How many zeros is that? I'm not on Jeopardy. I can't even figure it out. It's a lot of money. And some really bored people figured out that Jeff Bezos is 57 years old. If he were to live to 100, so for 43 more years, for 43 years, if Jeff Bezos spent $9 million a day, he still couldn't exhaust all of his money. $9 million a day. How would you like his daily allowance? <clears throat> I think that's pretty rich. $200 billion. But when it says God, the God who made Jeff Bezos is rich. What do you think that means? I think it means he's pretty gosh darn rich. That's a lot of richness that God has. But it's saying, what is it saying about God's mercy directed towards you? Now think about that. Don't just listen. Think. When it says God's rich in mercy towards you, what does that imply for you? How much do you need God's mercy on a day-by-day basis for the next 43 years? How much mercy does God have for you? The truth is, and we often forget it, or we get it out of order, God has a super abundance of mercy for you. I was talking to a friend this week whose mother passed away on Monday. His mother is what's called a Christian scientist. Christian scientist is one of the cults. By the way, Christian science is not the same as Scientology. Christian science people believe that God is not a real being. He's an idea. They believe that Jesus was real, but he, was not, he did not have a virgin birth and he didn't raise from the dead. They don't believe that sin or righteousness or evil or any of that's actually real. It's a construct of the mind. So they have some different ideas. So his mom died. And I'm talking to him on the phone. And he's wondering about her eternal status. Where will she spend eternity? And any of us who have lost a loved one who we wonder about their faith are left wondering the same kind of thing. And so we were going back and forth. And I finally said to him, Brother, can I tell you what I think? He says, Sure. I said, I think you ought to leave it to God because God's far more merciful than you or I. You see, I want to measure her based upon her theology, her doctrine. Does she have it right? Does she have all of her ducks in a row? But God is rich in mercy. Aren't you glad for that? Because I've lost loved ones. I don't know for sure what their faith was. But I do know this. God's merciful. And God doesn't measure you by whether your doctrine's right today. He measures you by whether your heart is towards Him. Because His heart is already towards you. He's rich in mercy. King David in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 24. You don't have to turn there, but you guys will remember the story. King David had ordered the people to be numbered. He wanted a census taken, in other words. He'd ordered all of the people of Israel to be numbered against God's express wishes. And God says to David, because you have done this, I'm going to judge Israel. And God gives David three choices. 
three choices. He said, I can send a plague across the land. I can give war. For he gives three choices and said, David, you choose. It was your sin. You get to choose what the consequence is. David was so much smarter than some of us. David looks at God and says, God, I'm not going to choose. You choose for me. Because you're more merciful than I am. God, who is so rich in mercy, loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sin, in our trespasses, gave His very life for us. That's how rich in mercy God is. But what is mercy? What is mercy? This is a definition I came across. You tell me if you like it or not. Mercy is the ability of a person to extend compassion, forgiveness, and kindness to an offender even though they have the power and authority to bring down pain and punishment. It's up on the wall. We'll leave it there for a minute. The ability of a person to extend compassion, forgiveness, and kindness to an offender even though they have the power and authority to bring down pain and punishment. Years ago, my father-in-law gave a definition for two very primary uh, terms that are used in the Bible. Grace and mercy. He took this definition and he made it much simpler than that. He took this definition and he said, grace is when you get something you don't deserve. Mercy is when you don't get something you do deserve. And by the way, both of those can feel like injustice, depending upon whether you're the recipient or not. Because when somebody that you know gets something they don't deserve, there's something in you that rises up and says, what about me? I've worked harder than they did. Why would they get that bonus? Or why do they get the same as me? Or when someone doesn't get something they deserve, if it's you, you're happy for it. You know that policeman who pulls you over and decides not to give you a ticket? I got pulled over not too long ago. Um, I don't know if you realize that over time, traffic signs change. Did you know that? There was a sign at an intersection of Route 20 and Route 19. Like you came through Pavilion and you're going to get onto Route 20 there. That sign used to be a yield sign. I'm telling you now so that you know it. Because some of you drive that way. It is now a stop sign. I didn't notice it. And I just did what I normally do. I'm pulling up. I'm looking back to make sure there's no cars coming. And I pulled right back out onto Route 20. And then a New York State trooper pulls me over right away. Before I got to the top of the hill, he pulls me over. He said, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, I don't have a clue, sir. Being very polite. Because he has the power to bring down pain and punishment. I said, I'm sorry, I don't know. He goes, you just drove through a stop sign. I said, oh, I didn't know it. He goes, yeah, they changed that sign from a yield to a stop sign now. So next time, just be aware of it. Have a good day. That was mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. Somebody else who got a ticket there the day before probably thinking, why does he not get a ticket and I do? Why does he get out of it? That's mercy. The Bible says God is rich in mercy, but He doesn't just feel mercy towards us. Because sometimes you can feel mercy towards people. We were watching quite a few of the uh, commercials and shows about 9-11 yesterday. Some of you probably did the same thing. 
And it was like you felt mercy for some of these family members who lost loved ones. But God doesn't just feel mercy. God does something about it. He demonstrates His mercy to us. So what does it mean for us? It means that God knows you're going to stumble. God knows you're going to fail. God knows you're going to get it wrong and you, you won't always, even your motivation won't always be right. But God still chooses to demonstrate mercy to you. Every moment of every day. Forever. God, shows, God doesn't just show mercy when He wakes up and He's in a good mood. God wakes up in a good mood. In fact, God never sleeps nor slumbers. He's always in a good mood because He's God and He's rich in mercy. That's what He shows to you. says the former... Um, definition we had up there talked about forgiveness well how often should God forgive you should we use Peter's estimation what did Peter say how many times should you forgive him seven times should God forgive you seven times how many of you only need forgiveness from God seven times for something if you've lived more than seven seconds you know you need more than that God, who is rich in mercy, is rich towards you with mercy. I want you to hear that. I'm saying it over and over again on purpose. I want you to know God is rich in mercy. That we've gotten things backwards. We've gotten it that it's something that we earned if we will do good. Do good, everything's okay. Do bad, look out. But God is rich in mercy. Turn to Romans chapter 2, if you would. Romans 2, 4. And it says this. Romans 2. 2-4. Or do you despise, and that word despise there means to treat lightly or cavalierly or treat it as a light thing. Do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing, and I want you to get this, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Get the order. The goodness of God brings you to a place where you choose to repent. Let me read it in another translation. New Living Translation. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Think about the actual order in which these things are said. Look at them again. Is it that our obedience brought about His kindness and mercy? Is that what it says? Which came first? He says, His kindness, His tolerance, His patience, His long-suffering, all of that was intended to affect you and to bring you to a place where you come home to His heart. Because that's a far better definition for repentance than if you finally get things right. Repentance is the Hebrew word teshuva. And it means to come home. That's what the prodigal son did. He came home to his father. Everybody else, the elder brother wanted him to pay penance. But penance is not repentance. Repentance is coming home. And the father said, as long as you come home, that's good enough for me. The father showed mercy. If you expect to receive God's kindness, you need to repent first. That's what most often we say. Repent, and then God will pour out His love upon you. 
But that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says God poured out His love upon you, His mercy upon you, in the hopes that as you experience that mercy, it will drive you to a place where you want to come home to Him. He doesn't say to us, as most of us do, shape up or ship out. He says, no, I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to pour it out. I'm going to lavish it so richly upon you that something in you, when you experience it, are going to want to come home to His heart. It doesn't start with obedience. It starts with beholding and feeling His mercy. I think we've gotten things backwards somewhat. I'm not saying there's not something important about obedience. I'm not saying that. I just think we've gotten it in the wrong order. It's His love and His mercy that drives us to want to be obedient because we've seen how good God really is. I've had the hammer held over my life a lot. And I have to tell you, that didn't keep me from doing stupid things. Wrong things. Sins and breaking the law. Knowing that it would happen. Still did it anyways. It's His goodness. When you see God when you actually see God, not just believe things about God because you've read the Bible or because you've been in church a long time, but when you've actually encountered the goodness and mercy of God, something in you wants more and more of that. And you're driven to His heart. We can't get it backwards or else we get life really messed up for ourselves and for others. Um, we can't keep teaching that good performance will cause God's blessing. God's pouring out His blessing whether you recognize it. God reigns on the just and the unjust. He's rich in mercy. My question to you today is, have you been focusing more on your lack, on your failures, on your foibles, or are you focusing more on God's goodness and on His mercy? In the very beginning, when Adam and Eve blew it in the garden, if things had happened the way we would have thought, we would have thought God would have just killed them and started all over again. Just get rid of them. But who was the one who actually pursued them when they fell in sin? The Scripture says God came in the garden, in the cool of the evening, searching for them. God pursued them. They didn't pursue God. God pursued them. And God actually gave them coverings so that they didn't have to leave with their shame being constantly exposed. That's His mercy, His kindness. Center stage, right from the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden. It's not our behavior that somehow leads to blessing. It's God's blessing of mercy that actually causes our behavior to change when you've experienced it. And don't hear this as just some sort of kind of like theological recentering in your mind. Think about the practical implications for your own life. I think... For most people, we are our worst enemies. Um, my granddaughters like to come into my office before church on Sunday mornings. And they like to counsel me before church. They do. They say, okay, Grandpa, you need to get up. You need to move into this other chair, and we're going to counsel you now. And they'll start, like today, Natalie started with, is there anything that's been upsetting you lately? <laughs> now, before I could answer that, Jillian, who was in the room, spoke up and said, yeah, Grandma. I have no idea where that came from. 
But if I had answered her, which I did, well, what's been upsetting you? I said, my mind. Because the truth is, our battle is far more up here than it is out there. If we can't get this right, we're never going to get this right. We have to start with God's mercy received in our own souls till we actually believe God really is merciful. Rich in mercy. The God of the universe who created everything is rich in mercy. Gold, that's nothing to God. Silver, I mean, even Solomon said that when he built the temple, silver was so plentiful that they treated it like it was dirt. It was nothing to him. None of that stuff matters. But when God wants to talk about being rich, God says, I'm rich in mercy. Get that into your thinking. Get that into your mind. God didn't wait for you to get it right. God poured out His mercy upon you from the very beginning, and He does it every moment of every single day. Have you allowed your own life experiences, and maybe it has to do with the people that you've related to, maybe your own parents, maybe your father, maybe like me, you lived your whole life never knowing for sure when the fist of punishment would come down upon your head. And often not even knowing why it did when it did. And here's the danger. When you've had that kind of experience with your parents, your father, or perhaps with bosses or teachers or others who have been perhaps a bit abusive in their authority, it's easy to take that kind of experience and put it upon God. Because that's what I did. I just took everything that I experienced with my father and I thought, well, God's father, God. So he must be just like my father. Only to discover God's nothing like that at all. God's not an ogre. He's not this old man waiting for you to blow it so he can finally set you right. God actually is, in fact, rich in mercy. What has been molded for you often can be what you use in molding others. Uh, you use some of the same stuff. Maybe you're slightly better. I can remember at one point saying to, uh, I don't know if it was my kids or my wife, it's something I had spoken sharply or done something with anger towards my kids. And I remember, uh, it was probably to Karen. Karen was probably bothered because she's much more sensitive, a far better parent than I ever was. But she probably said something to me about, is that really what you want to say to the kids? And I said, well, it's way better than what my father said to me. And probably some of you have done the same thing. But do you really want your father's imperfections to be the standard for your life? And the truth is, everyone in this room has imperfect examples. Even if your parents were the greatest, they were still imperfect because they were human. And we contend to carry that over into our image of God. Do right, you'll get right. Do wrong, Punishment will come swift and sure. That's what I was raised to believe. In fact, I live my life not only aware of the idea of punishment, but I actually live my life thinking that maybe if I did especially good, I could get a reward. And for some of us, we do the same thing with God. Well, God, I was especially good today. I read my Bible this morning. God, did you notice? I read, I read a whole chapter today. I hope you're impressed, God. And I hope that means you'll bless me. But God's blessing is upon you already. My father-in-law used to joke. He, he was a guy who thought through things like no one else I know. 
He asked great questions and he was willing to confront status quo. He says, why, why do you bless the food before you eat? Because I want God's blessing. He says, well then, wh why don't you get ahead of the game? Why don't you bless the seed when it's going in the ground? And that way you're all done with it forever. Well, the longer I've thought about this, the more I think, well, wait a minute, God's blessing is upon us anyways. When we pray and we ask God's blessing upon the food, it's really us recognizing his blessing does rest upon that which he has given to us, provided for us. His blessing is already there for you. His mercy is rich. The scriptures paint a different picture. Jesus didn't come to give us life after we finally got all cleaned up and did better. In fact, the scripture in Ephesians that we read, Ephesians 2, says not only were we in our sins, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's how bad we were. And yet Jesus came and he poured his mercy upon us when there was no hope of us doing anything better ourselves. Unfortunately, too many of us think that we get mercy, we get grace when we first get saved, but after that we have to work for it. But that's not what God says. God says, I'm pouring out my mercy and grace upon you every single moment of every single day. My father-in-law also used to say this, the scandal of grace is that bad people go to heaven while good people go to hell. Now think about it. Isn't that true? There are people in the world who know nothing of God, don't believe in God, have no faith in God whatsoever, but they do good things. But bad people, people who actually believe in God, actually love God but still continue to fail because they have put their faith and their trust in God find them there. the scandal of grace that's the message of the gospel Paul says in Romans 5 8 God demonstrates his own love not our kind of love his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us and then John says this in 1 John 4 10 this is real love not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now, I have no doubt that somebody here could think, Pastor Chris, you've just gone too far. It's like you're giving people license to sin. And I want to suggest to you that that's not true. There are some of you who are going to say, well, wait a minute. If we become a Christian, doesn't that mean we're supposed to stop sinning? Isn't that one of the measurements of it? And I would suggest to you, kind of, maybe, a little. Here's the verse you're probably looking at. 1 John 5.18 No one who has become part of God's family makes a practice of sinning for Christ, God's Son, holds him securely and the devil can't get his hands on him. So it says, stop sinning. Don't make a practice of sinning. But I think we get the order wrong. The reason why you stop making a practice of sinning is because you recognize you're in the family of God. You've already experienced the love of the Heavenly Father. In other words, it's not a prerequisite to stop sinning. It's a promise that if you walk with God, you're not going to sin the way you used to. Things are going to change in your life. You're not going to stay the same. In fact, the truth is, rather than preach hard against sin, and I'm not saying sin's not real. Believe me, I know it is. I've experienced it and its consequences in my own life. But instead of preaching hard about sin, let's preach hard about the love of God and what He has done for us. We talk about the gospel being good news, but what we most often say to the world isn't good news at all. The way we act is, you're going to hell. God's angry at you. 
You need to repent. And then maybe God will let you into heaven. And I got to tell you, that doesn't sound like good news to me. But when you tell them that God has poured out His love upon you, even when you were sinners, that God's mercy is rich towards you. He's patient towards you. He knows your weakness and your failings. He knows that you're just grass that fades away with time. And He takes that into consideration and He poured His love upon you. That's good news. In life, first things need to be first. And the first thing I think we need to get straight in our mind is God's mercy for us. God who is rich in mercy. Now maybe you've experienced some bumps in your life. Maybe some of them have been imposed upon you. Maybe some of them are things that you've done that have caused some damage in your own life. I want you to hear this. But God, who is so rich in mercy, loved you with a love that is beyond any love you have ever could have imagined or experienced. He loves you with that love, that mercy, and that grace. And it's not dependent upon your track record. It's not dependent upon your performance. God wants to show kindness to you today, right now. So, would you bow your heads? just between you and God. Not based upon whether you're a good boy or girl today, but based solely upon the fact that God is God. And God says, I am rich. I'm rich with mercy, with kindness, with patience, with grace. Father, that's actually what you said to Moses when you said, I will show you my glory. I'm going to pass before you. And you came before Moses, the Lord, the Lord, strong and gracious, merciful to a thousand generations. That's who you are, Father. And Lord, my prayer is that as a family of God here gathered in this house, as a church, we would make the emphasis upon you and your goodness and who you really are. Not upon how bad the world is or how wrong things are, but upon you. Lord, help us to put our eyes upon you. Looking unto Jesus. Keeping our focus where it needs to be. First things first. Not getting things out of order or else, Father, when we do it, we get our lives messed up, our hearts become insecure and we start striving to do better and we start letting other people tell us what it means to do better instead of resting in your mercy and love. Lord, I'm asking that today, at some point in this day, whether now or in future moments, but today, each person would experience something of the wonder of your presence. I'm asking you to come and to touch hearts, Father, that we would know the joy of being your son or your daughter, to be wanted, not just received, but wanted, and to know that you love us with an everlasting love and nothing 
and no one, no thing can pluck us from your hands. Pour it out upon your people today, I pray, Father. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great rest of your day. And my trust is that you will, in fact, experience his presence afresh. Go with God.